This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. If you're thinking... I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. This week, we gathered together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of the magazine editorial team chat about and rate an important new release. So with me today in the BBC Music Studio are Jeremy Pound, the Deputy Editor, Rebecca Franks, our Reviews Editor, and Rosie Pentreath, our Online Editor and Staff Writer. Hello. Hello. This month we've been listening to mezzo-soprano Cecilia Bartoli's new recording on Decca. Called St. Petersburg, Bartoli has delved into the Mariinsky archives and put together a collection of newly rediscovered arias from 18th century operas written during the reigns of Tsarina's Anna, Elizabeth and Catherine the Great. Bartoli is accompanied by E. Barocisti, conducted by Diego Fazolis. So before we talk about this recording, let's listen to Araya's Vado Amore from La Forza dell'Amore e del Odio. Thank you. 
So that was an extract from Arias Vado and Morier, track one of Cecilia Bartoli's um, album St. Petersburg. Jeremy, this is um, a disc of mostly Italian music on a Russian-themed disc. So Russia was clearly looking westwards for inspiration in its sort of cultural ambitions. Absolutely, and actually the, the title of the disc is very significant, St. Petersburg, because the process had began with um, Peter the Great in the previous century, and he'd actually stationed his capital at St. Petersburg because it was on the coast and it looked westwards. Um, his original attentions was to look west in terms of sort of diplomatic and military um, ideas, but then, of course, after he died, then sort of the cultural spread began um, actually began with um, his immediate successor, Anna, um, who became aware of Italian opera, liked it and brought it into the court and then carried on through um, her successor, Elizabeth, and then through Elizabeth's successor, Catherine the Great, who of those three rulers, of course, is the one we know best today. Um, and there's composers here like Araya Raupach, who was actually German, um, Manfredini, Cimarosa, who's actually the best-known composer on disc. But these, they all worked in the, in the Russian court over the, over the course of the 18th century, and Russian um, opera girls would become very familiar with the, with the Italian style of opera. Of course, it's extraordinary, really, Rosie, that uh, the language spoken by the aristocracy pretty much in the years after Peter the Great, so during um, Anna, Elizabeth and Catherine's reign, pretty much the aristocracy spoke French, and here we have a programme of Italian music. I mean, why Italian? Mm, indeed. Um, Elizabeth herself was actually educated mainly in French. She was in between Anna and Catherine. Um, I think Italian, uh, Italian opera was sort of the revered language for opera. And I think, you know, um, Anna had become so enamoured of Italian opera, she'd discovered it through the King of Poland, um, and she'd uh, sort of sent people out to find an Italian troupe for, for the court, and actually a- appointed the first court composer, who was the Italian aria, who we have on this disc. Um, yeah, she sort of she was sort of shunning Russian tradition, and as Jeremy said, Elizabeth wanted to um, cultivate the European... Um, Traditions, and then Catherine obviously kind of cemented that too. And uh, I mean, it wasn't just in Russia, in, in Germany, and in England as well. There's sort of the craze for all things, uh, for all things Italian, um, mm. sort of in musical terms, both in opera bet, and it? yeah, safe bet in opera and in the sort of violin and instrumental world as well. You know, mm. he, Italy was the place to where, where where this music was born, really. But is this music any good on this CD? Uh, well, I think that's the kind of the key the key question. Um, on paper, it certainly has musical value. This is disc of um, 11 world premieres, so music that Cecilia Barsley has spent a long time um, sort of, well, she, she went to the, to spent years negotiating her way into the state archive in uh, the Mariinsky Theatre. So she's spent a lot of time and an effort in, in digging out these this forgotten music. Um if I'm honest, when I when I listened to it, I thought there's a lot of attractive, very well written music. Um, but yeah, so if I'm being completely honest, there's nothing I felt particularly compelled to return to. Um, but there were things I liked. For instance, um, we have quite a few pieces by by Raupach, the, the German composer, and I particularly liked um, the sort of trumpet and drums opening um, of one of the uh, numbers from Alceste. Um, and also the sort of Vivaldian energy you almost get there in the strings. And I also particularly liked um, uh, a number by Dall'Olio, which is a kind of prologue to a, an opera by Hasser, in fact, but it has arch lute and flute, and it's very sort of delicate texture. I really enjoyed that. So shall we hear that, in fact, the uh, prologue to La Clemenza di Tito by uh, Domenico Dall'Olio? 
So that was an extract from Domenico Dall'Olio's uh, De Mei Fili, um, uh, which is his prologue to La Clemenza di Tito. Um, Jeremy, how did you find Cecilia Bartoli's um, delivery of this music? After all, she's a musician with such a huge amount of respect within the classical music world. And I suppose without her, this well, we wouldn't really know much about the Italian culture in Russia. So immensely important role that she's had, but has she fulfilled the artistic side of things? This is very, very valuable to have someone like Cecilia Bartley doing this because she's such a high-profile figure. And it's a wonderful research project actually to go to the Marensky archives and actually hunt out this material um, because there are plenty of other things she could have been doing, but to actually have done this I think is terrific. And there are composers here that I've never heard of before and I certainly don't know their music. Um, and, And if she didn't do them, this someone else would have actually probably researched them, but probably wouldn't have had the kind of clout to promote these composers in the same way. What would be really nice now would be actually hear more of their stuff, because of course this is just little more than a snapshot. And I think where the disc does a little bit of a disservice is it doesn't tell you an awful lot about the operas within which these iris actually came, or that much more about the composers. It tells you about Russian history at the time, but not that much about the composers themselves. I mean, although it does tell you about Russian history, but I think it's quite a glossed over. Um, I mean, of course, you can't go into a huge amount of detail, but both Anna and Elizabeth were complete tyrants. I mean, basically butchering anybody that stood in their path. So the complete sort of contrast between their style of rule and this beautiful music that was imported, you know, one gets the impression that... Uh, uh, you've got something out of Florence in St. Petersburg, but it was wet and damp and cold and okay, they probably would have been paid a lot of money, but it was a pretty harsh period and a pretty harsh um, uh, situation in which to, to sort of find yourself as an Italian out of water, as it were. Mm, indeed, yeah. I think opera came to Russia. Opera was very much a kind of microcosm of anything political um, that was happening in the world, especially in Europe. I think it's used in St. Petersburg Court. I think it's um, trying to convey that uh, Europeanness that, as Jeremy said, that the rulers were trying to bring back, back a, a over veneer to Russia. of respectability. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's hear another extract from this uh, disc. We'll hear Domenico Cimarosa's Agitata in Tante Pene from his opera La Vergine del Sole. That was an extract from Domenico Cimarosa's aria Agitata in Tante Pene from uh, his opera La Vergine del Sole uh, from Cecilia Bartoli's St. Petersburg disc. Rebecca, how do you find she um, performed? To my ears, I felt that she was at her best in the sort of slower and more lyrical music, you know, really bringing out some of her rich tone. I mean, throughout the CD, I felt she's utterly committed to this. She really, really does throw herself into this music, you know, um, with huge amounts of passion. But that is also the bit that I didn't find comfortable um, in some of the more virtuosic music. 
I just found the approach kind of hectic and there were moments that I thought were sharp. Um, I just, as I say, I guess the word comfortable, I didn't find a lot of it a sort of comfortable... I don't know if that is the right word, actually, because you don't want music always to be comfortable, but mm. there was something about it that didn't really I, sit well with me. I felt <laughs> assaulted from time to time, and I know that's quite a strong word to say, but there are times when I had to take the headphones off. I'm sorry, but as you say, the softer, more lyrical are is absolutely stunning. I mean, I made a note of track three, um, one of the Raupash, um arias. But I have to say, in track two, another Raupash, um you get the sense that perhaps everyone should have gone back to the beginning and recorded it again because the intonation really is quite wide of the mark in some places. And it's a shame because actually I think um, Ibarokisti and Diego Fazolis do a really lovely job of kind of bringing out the character of the music. There's kind of like a bird-like moment from the oboe in one of the arias and really kind of mournful strings in other places. And they sculpt all the lines, but I don't know, just as you say, perhaps could have done with some... Mm. We takes so Jeremy probably quite. Is it? Do you think it's quite over over planned, a bit overwrought, the playing and the singing? I mean, every single T and I dotted before they sit down and record it. Um, I think so. As you say, I mean, the the one advantage of it is there is at least a variety of pace. Um, what would have been a real disaster is if it had this sort of. Um, if it had been all the fast, aggressive arias, you would have, it really would have been a tough ask. Um, at least she does mix it up a bit. Um, and we do have, she does sing Russian at one point, which again is a nice sort of breaks up the Italian a bit. Though I have to say, her, her diction at times, you can't actually tell that clearly whether she's singing Russian or Italian. You sort of hear the sort of Russian vowel sort of sounds, don't you? Know, sort of throaty sounds, but then, yeah. Um, so you have to actually listen quite carefully. Um, it it is a for for music which you don't know to be sort of it really does need utterly perfect performances to really get into it for the first time. You can't be very forgiving if you don't know the music itself, particularly as a lot of the music also isn't that strong. It's not that memorable. Rosie, how did you find her performance? Um, I'm I have to say I agree with um, a lot of what you've all said. Um, yeah, Bartoli, it just came across as quite shrill for me, especially in the, the faster arias. Um, it opened with this gorgeous, actually slow aria from Araya, and I, I, I really loved that, and I kind of thought, wow, um, what am I gonna about to listen to? And, and there were moments that matched that for me, but again, it was just a bit shrill in places, so I, I found it harder to listen to later on. But the orchestra, I thought, was fantastic, like Rebecca said. Mm. I think before we give our scores, let's hear track three. Um, it's called Iduna Schmert, uh, it's by Hermann Rapash and it's from his opera Alcesta. So that was an aria by Raupash, uh, one of the composers that was out in uh, 18th century St. Petersburg. Um, and it's part of a CD uh, put together by Cecilia Bartoli, her new recording, St. Petersburg. Jeremy, mark out of 10. I'm going to give it a fairly lowly five, I'm afraid, because it is a labour of love. It's a research project 
but the sleeve notes don't do anything like enough to inform you about what's going on, and so it's neither one thing nor the other, and the music itself can't carry you through. Rebecca? I'd like to give this a 6 out of 10 uh, for the reasons we've discussed, really. I didn't think it was, as you say, it was a labour of love, but I didn't think the music was quite of the highest quality or the performance necessarily right up there with the best to make it uh, worthy of a, a higher mark. Rosie? Um, I'm going for a six as well. I think the orchestral performance is fantastic. Bartoli had moments of greatness, but um, unfortunately enough moments where it was slightly shrill. I didn't enjoy it so much. But yeah, fantastic history, and I enjoyed learning about these pieces. I'm going to give it a six as well. Um, I thought that Cecilia Bartoli has made a great contribution to recording and uh, musicological history, um, dug up some some fascinating arias from 18th century Russia, a culture of which we don't know a huge amount about. Um, however, I do think the delivery could have been a lot more slick. Some of the slower arias are absolutely beautiful. Some of the quicker arias should have been, frankly, re-recorded. So that's a six from me. So that gives us an average of five and three quarters for Cecilia Bartoli, St. Petersburg. And that brings us to the end of this month's First Listen. Join us next month when we'll be getting together once more to discuss another major new release. Goodbye. 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 Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.